And so, um, and so there's, there's a lot of fear there and I don't think, you know, I get it. I Mm -hmm. get the fear. Um, but I don't, you know, the Holy Spirit, I don't think works through fear. And so I, I, I've challenged people in that a little bit, but also I would say, um, like for my church, uh, they looked at all the different denominations, different options. A huge thing that helped them overcome that fear was the Global Methodist Church does, doesn't have a trust clause. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, like the other denominations, actually, if you dig deep, do have trust clauses. Right. And even yeah. there's one in particular said, hey, we'll waive the trust clause. Oh, but it's only for five years. Um, and then you have to make a decision at the end of the five years. So, oh, like, which one was that? I've heard, and I could be wrong on this. Yeah. Maybe they changed it, but I think it's Free Methodist. So I thought, okay, the way I understood the Free Methodist was, we'll waive the trust clause for you, but any additional buildings you build will be under and, the trust. And clause. And maybe they changed it. What yeah. originally what I heard was it was like after we'll waive it, but then in five years you've got to kind of make that final decision. Okay, and you'll be brought under. I, they may have just changed it to additional buildings. I don't know. Yeah, I didn't. But, I didn't even interview someone from there because yeah. I knew so many people are just so against the trust clause right. that it's yeah. it's yeah. foolish to even. Yeah. yeah. But then I, I learned that the Evangelical Methodist Church, whom I interviewed, in that I was surprised to find they have a trust clause mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. And then the Primitive Methodists did have one, mm-hmm. but a few years ago, before the United Methodists even fell apart, they said, why do we have this? We're not going to take another church to court. It's gone, which I really admired them for. Yeah. But it is a rare thing. Uh, the The Wesleyan Church has a trust clause. Free Methodist Church has a trust clause. Those are the two biggest. Salvation Army, I think, also has a trust. What okay. about the Nazarenes? I'm not sure about the Nazarenes. I kind of um, think they do too. If not, I should... No, they do. I'm pretty sure. So uh, anyway, so, Nazarenes, y'all can write and correct me, but I'm pretty sure I'm right. Anyway, uh, any yeah. any other distinctives about the GMC that you think? So are- so to to kind of not to go down that rabbit trail forever, but like with with the trust clause piece, you know, it's it's a, just a, in the GMC, it's a 90 day discernment period. If a church decides um, that they they no longer want to be a part of the Global Methodist Church, they just enter a 90-day discernment period, mm-hmm. which I think is so kingdom-minded. Right, yeah. Like, um, like I believe deeply in the Global Methodist Church and and those pieces and and all of uh, and and everything that that we're about and the Wesleyan doctrine and heritage and and all of those those pieces. And yeah. I don't foresee myself ever going anywhere outside the Global Methodist Church. Yeah, and yet yeah. I think we can. We're here to build God's kingdom, not ours. Sure, yeah. And so um, it's kingdom-minded. If a church doesn't want to be a part of your fellowship, to say, you know, we're we're a fellowship of the willing, not the constrained, and yeah. and that piece. So I, I think that's that's significant. And then w- what I would say is um, there's been a lot of th- we're not there yet, but we're building it. And mm-hmm. and what I mean in in that is. Um, I still remember uh, back prior to GMC, WCA, some some of the global sessions where we talked about what does intentional discipleship look like. Right. What what does that mean? Like, not not just intentional, but accountable. Mm-hmm. How do we watch over one another in love, um, in a manner that like 
where we we call each other out on our stuff sometimes yeah. in love. Yeah, we're, and we haven't been so good at that. You know, the the word says, "Confess your sins to one another, and you will be healed." Not yeah. just silently before God to one another. We we've forgotten about that. Now I don't think standing up in front of fifty or a hundred people in worship sometimes that that's fine. But I think the the Wesleyan distinctives of class meetings and bands. And yeah, I want you to talk about classes and bands now. That's an easy segue. It's a huge thing yeah. in early Methodism. Yeah. It's in our spiritual DNA. It stopped being mandatory in American Methodism mm-hmm. over 100 years ago. Hmm. Um, we've seen a number of spiritual trends that are concerning in Methodism yeah. since. It's not that we were perfect before, but we've gotten much less perfect since then. Yeah. So I I and a few others have been um, of the mind that, that we need to be making them yeah. mandatory again. Yeah. How do you imagine? So in the heartland, where it hasn't been part of the culture here, uh-huh. uh, maybe it was for about fifty years. But yeah, yeah. Uh, how how do we? Do you have any ideas about how it is we reclaim that? How it is that we start moving the culture of our churches closer to that? Yeah, I would say a couple things. I I, I would say um, so it, at my church. That's one of the first things that. Um, that I began to implement was, hey, we need to, um, even at the Renew Campus before I brought in individuals to come do training on bands and got groups going on those. Mm. And, and, um, and, and at, at Goddard now, like, um, there, there are multiple, um, there's a couple guys, um, groups of, of guys that are in bands, and then there's um, actually, it's, it's growing um, exponentially right now. It's really awesome to oh, see. Oh, that's great. Um, including some uh, some ladies groups, uh, uh, they're um, in their seventies and eighties, and r- like are growing significantly. In you their got faith the old now. ladies to do it, uh-huh. yeah. Hey. So accountable um, discipleship, like they're they're mm-hmm. really talking about real stuff. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, what what does that look like? And I think a, a couple things in that. Number one, um, I think in and not to generalize, mm. in, in the UMC, we have a lot of clergy who have never been discipled. Mm. They don't know what... The reason they can't define it is because, oh, you feel a call, go to seminary yeah. and get knowledge. Mm. Like, I, I remember sitting at a table five years ago with a bunch of pastors, and they had no clue what discipleship was. And I asked, like, have you ever been to... Well, no, I went to well, I went to seminary. I'm like, well, that's not discipleship. Like, uh, you know, that gains knowledge. And yeah, so, yeah. so I would say equipping and training of clergy, because yeah. the reality is if your clergy aren't actively engaged in classes or bands, yeah. then how do you expect the, the, the laity... I mean, maybe you have significant lay leadership, but like... And in my church, what I've experienced is it was a push to get people to try it. Yeah. Some people said no initially. Yeah. And now, a year later, they're in stuff because they've seen the transformation that yeah. Jesus has done in people's lives. And they're like, well, I know I said no, but I want that. Mm. Like, I, I need that. And like, and so it takes just getting a few key people to say yes to I'll try it. You know, yeah. like um, we have a Tuesday night men's group at the church, and we we split it. We come together and pray together, and then split into two smaller groups. And mm-hmm. and one of those was just, um, hey, uh, two of the guys who have been in a band said, um, we just want you to experience. So over the next eight weeks, would you be willing to test this band thing out? Cool. Like, if you don't want to continue after, that's fine. You started with bands, so you didn't go from classes to bands. 
Correct. Okay. We we yeah. started. Yeah, we we jumped into we jumped into bands. To be clear, um, I think that's wise. I think um, class meetings often provide kind of a milk toast in between place where people mm-hmm. really need the intentional confessional. Uh, I think I think yeah. Keep yeah. going. I think that was wise. well. And and class meetings, even though they they look different than say a Sunday school class or a Bible study, they mm-hmm. they. They're the similar size, so you get some of those same feels. So I'm like, we've got groups that are about that size already, ex- yeah. existing and, and running. But like, we we need we, we need the 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 banding piece to yeah. happen, and so um, so I, I think that that's going to be huge for for the future movement because when we talk about Wesley, when we talk about um, the early Methodist movement, mm-hmm. um, Wesley was an amazing man. Yeah, he was also a man. Yeah, you know he wasn't perfect. Um, like the Holy Spirit moved, and I think the Holy Spirit moved in early Methodism primarily because of the intentionality of class and bands meetings and and the atmosphere of of humbleness, of confession, of mm-hmm. repentance that that brought about like true spiritual transformation in people's lives. Yeah, um, and. You know, re- reading the book of Acts, like uh, Acts three or four, where where it says uh, they've the, these men have been with Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. Like, do people say that about the the laity in our like the the laity and clergy in mm-hmm. our churches when they look at us? Do they say that's somebody who's been with Jesus? Like yeah. their life is marked by the fruit of the spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can try to force fake joy all we want. Sure, yeah. We can try to force, you know, even fake love. But mm-hmm. like people are gonna in today's day day and age, people see right through it. Yeah. Um, and and so, do we have genuine love for for people? And I think that only comes through Holy Spirit moving and working in our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, does that mean everything is magically good? No. I mean, that's why we have bands. Yeah, to like have confessional time together, to have, um, to to have that place of of sacred trust where it's a smaller group where you know you're you know when you have confessional time it's not aired to the world but yeah. like but you're still being faithful to the word of yeah. confessing your sins to one another and and also holding each other accountable like hey you were struggling with this how, yeah. how are you doing this week well, um, so you pieces. saw my interview with Bishop Jones. Mm-hmm. And this was one of the areas where I mean there was it was polite and we liked each other, but there was there was real tension because my small group ministry experience has met some success, but also some failure. You know, I've I've had it happen many times that people want to come close, but whenever it comes time to change, they say no, mm-hmm. and uh, sometimes they hold on, and that's toxic for the group. Sometimes they leave, and that mm-hmm. also hurts the group. But when you're talking about issues of addiction or codependency. Mm-hmm. You're talking about people who have a bad relationship with self and they need to change how they eat or exercise. Mm-hmm. When you're talking about people who are not reading the Bible or praying at home and they know they need to make a change, but they feel judged when you talk about it. There have been a lot of people for one reason or another, they love the friendship that's offered, mm-hmm. but they want someone else to change on that level. They, right. they want to make a few little changes, but mm-hmm. they don't want to do the big change. They don't want to learn how to communicate differently with their wife in the midst of a disagreement or discipline their children different mm-hmm. or uh, talk about their leadership differently. Mm-hmm. You know, there are a lot of very fundamental things about how we move through the world that w- we think it's kind of ridiculous that everybody comes to church thinking, 
or that anyone would come to church thinking, oh, my problems aren't that bad, but these other people really should change. Mm-hmm. But that's where it's really exposed is in the small groups. And I've yeah. found folks so reluctant in general to do that. And the only mm-hmm. thing that allows them to do that is the trusting and loving, right. vulnerable uh, setting of small groups. Mm-hmm. So the the thing that that makes me wary... Okay, so I the, the other there are two options here. One is me and my churches just don't have the Holy Spirit, and we're trying to do something that we just can't do without the Holy Spirit. The other option is it's actually a very difficult thing to do that oh, yeah. is going to meet a lot of failure anywhere you do it, but our leadership is not willing to acknowledge that. So as you hear me reflect on that, how much does it sound like and I, hopefully I don't seem like a defensive person to you, Where, you, but how much does it seem like, uh, I think Jeffrey's doing it wrong. And then how much does it sound like, um, maybe no water is just a really hard context versus, you know what, it, it is a hard thing to do. And a lot of churches that do this are going to see a lot of discouragement and failure, and they are going to have to plug along anyway. So how, how do yeah. you think through all those things? Yeah, I, I would say um, understanding the context is important. I think it can be really easy. Somebody told me yesterday, oh, you're you're in a high position now, just so you know, you're going to have all the stones thrown at you uh, being in that. And I was like, okay. But the reality is, um, which is sad, even in the church, it can be really easy to be critical without understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I have the, I think we all have that tendency or temptation, right? Like, um, so I, the first thing I would say to that is, um, every context is, is different. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, like as a leader, I'm not like, I, I always caution myself internally to say, okay, I'm not going to make snap judgments mm-hmm. about this church or this situation or whatever, yeah. when I don't understand the full context of it right, right now. Mm-hmm. Um, if I want to make some of those decisions then I need to take the time to get to know the context. Yeah. But what, what I, what I would say is, um, within that, it is hard. Yeah. Um, there are gonna. I mean, I've ha- I've had conversations with people at my church who are like, who who are they they don't feel ready yet to mm-hmm. to jump into one of those groups or or to do do some of that. And and I have conversations with them, and and I just encourage them. I, I'll say, you know, my hope is your answer isn't no. If it's not yet. I can continue to walk with you if it's, you know, like, um, but, and then I've had people who are leaders who have asked people, like, would you join this, this band or discipleship group and, 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 and those pieces, would, would you consider? And people have said no, and they're hurt because they were a close friend of theirs. Oh, sure. Yeah. Like, and they're like, is it me? Did I do something wrong? Right, do yeah. they not like me? Do they not? So there, I think there's so much, and and to be quite frank, to be quite honest, I believe that that the enemy, that Satan, is going to do everything that he can yeah. to try to prevent these bands and classes from forming. And so it's it's a battle. It's a spiritual battle. Well, the specific thing I brought up though was people who say yes initially, but then don't mm-hmm. work out. Is that a pain that your church is familiar with, or have have you really had it be the case that once someone steps in? It's universally a good experience. Um, so right now, things have been going really well. We've had one wow. or two who, who have stepped out. Yeah. In the past, um, I've I've experienced that more uh, personally as I've started groups. Um, uh, but we have had some who um, have gotten in the midst of it and just said no. 
And at the end of the day, um, it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict, yeah. not ours. Yes. Um, and our responsibility, especially as spiritual leaders, is to offer people Christ, mm-hmm. to love them well, yes, but um, people can be loved in probably the wrong ways, but loved other places, right? Like, um, But our, our job is to care so much for them and mm-hmm. to love somebody so much that we want the best for them, and the best isn't always what they think or even what we think is best. It's oh, sure, what, yeah. what the Holy Spirit thinks is best. So in that, like, yeah, we've experienced that. We've experienced people who have started and said, mm, "No, this isn't this isn't for me," mm-hmm. um, and it hurts. Yeah, um, I mean, especially if you love the people, like it's hard not to take it personally, um, and yet also it's in our Wesleyan understanding of grace, like there, there's grace, but also God's prevenient grace and and those things. Like the biggest thing I try to do is just, all right, Lord, like I'm going to pray for them, but but I can't force them to do something they're they don't want it. Well, let me let themselves. me. Uh, we can take this out later if yeah. if you want. But I'm I'm very curious. You know, we're 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 supposed to minister to messy people. You mm-hmm. know, the world messes people up yeah. in the church. Fits. So we had a couple that came in. Uh, adults living together outside of wedlock, mm-hmm. uh, that they were interested in the church, they wanted to grow closer to Jesus. The man joined my group, the woman joined the women's group, and immediately she starts tearing into her man, saying that he's abusive, mm-hmm. there's alcohol that's involved, there's irregular behavior. She came with a, a background in sex work. Mm-hmm. He's, he's obviously got some anger issues. We're trying to work with them, but meanwhile the women are getting triggered by her talking about her experience with abuse and the abuse that's supposedly going on. The men, we theologically, were like this, but then we're going, okay, what do we do about this anger? What do we do about mm-hmm. this man living with this woman out of wedlock? There's finally a crisis where she needs to get out of the house, and we find a place for her, and we're saying, we need you both to stay close. Uh, uh, we're going to minister to you. We're going to help you learn a different way to be. Uh, and uh, she after a day, says, no, I'm going back with him. And for us, it was clear, we can't be in fellowship with you if you're going to continue to abuse yourselves and one another and drag us through that as well, and it's our job just to to just deal with it. You know, we 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 have to have you do some sacrifice. Sacri- you can't be a saint, mm-hmm. but you can at least live in different places mm-hmm. and spend time with us separately and and court one another <laughs> yeah. rather than and uh, when they said no then we said no you, you can't be a part of this anymore it wasn't hateful mm-hmm. but it was very clear you know this 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 can't function for you and it can't function for us if we have willful unrepentant repeti- repeated sin and they're not the only ones i only lift right. them up because they're not in the fellowship anymore they left and and uh but there are many others who have come into these groups, and, and they might not have a sex work background. They, they might not be abusing their spouse. But there are other issues that they're not willing to let go. And when you're doing life together, these mm-hmm. things get exposed. Yeah. And, and it's not just them who gets exposed. It's, it's us and our stuff that we're trying to get out. You know, a lot of women in the group just said, I've, I have been abused, and I don't want to relive that if she is not going to experience— if she's not going to be open to the healing that I've, I've had. So— I've talked to, you know, I've got a, a family member who does small group ministry in a big church in Tulsa, and we started talking to her, me and my wife, what do you do with these really dysfunctional people with these, when they, and she's just going, we don't deal with that. We like 
pray for each other when we're in the hospital and pray for each other's kids and we spent but we don't we don't engage on that level. So part of me is is thought over the years, okay, a lot of these churches just aren't engaging on that level. They don't mm-hmm. go that deep so that they're not exposing these very deep personal things. Mm-hmm. As I'm listening to you talking, I'm not getting that impression. I'm getting the impression that your folks really are going deep. They're really confessing their sins. They're really watching over one another in love. And so I'm imagining people watching this who are interested in small group ministry. They haven't ever done it before, and they're hearing me talking now and going, oh, that's really messy and ugly, and I don't know if I want that. And then they're hearing you talking how it's just been such a blessing, and there's been a couple setbacks, but it's largely gone well. In my mind, you have to help people approach things soberly if it's going to maintain. So do you think it's just context to con- some contexts are just going to work out much better? Others are going to have a lot more baggage and crap. Um, so I, I provided a very yeah. real scenario. Yeah. What, what, what's the yeah. ruminations you have on that? Yeah, I think um, with, with like with a scenario like that, I mean, that's a, that's a hard scenario. And, right? and we've... We've wa- I've walked with people in, in very difficult scenarios, and um, like the the question, you know, that that idea of I think it's is it Stephen Corbett helping without hurting, right? Yeah, like, yeah. I think as when church- helping hurts, yeah, yeah uh, when helping hurts. Brian yeah. Fickert and Stephen yeah, Corbett, yeah. yeah. And um, how how do we speak life and dignity and the hope of Jesus mm-hmm. into people, um, like um, and and also push them, push them to grow. Mm-hmm. And so, like, um, I think, let's, let's be honest, when people are really messy, it takes extra time, effort, energy, yeah. um, all of the above, but mm-hmm. isn't that who Jesus calls us to? Yeah. And we can't control how they respond, and I think there can come a point where after trying to help over and over and over and over again, mm-hmm. if they're just not interested and they're not, they're not pursuing that, then there has to be a boundary set of, okay, if you're not willing to do these things, like, you know, yeah. like as long as they're not disrupting things, hey, if you want to come to worship, you can come to worship. Mm-hmm. But yeah. like as far as these other things, um, and then the other thing, I, you, you touched on this kind of briefly that mm-hmm. stuck out to me, um, uh, because um, you, you talk about different addictions and things like that, right. um, a little, not to air everything, but like my, my wife um, struggled with years, and she's very open uh, about this with uh, anorexia, mm. um, and, and that is an addiction, you know, and, and God, uh, Jesus has delivered her from mm. that. Wonderful. And, and um, and walks with a lot of people, struggled with a lot of depression and, and things, and 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 the reality is when people bring their brokenness, mm-hmm. and you have a past of that, it it can bring unhealed stuff in yourself out. Sure, yeah. And you just want to run screaming from it. Mm. Like when I encounter somebody who who their brokenness pushes against my brokenness or an unhealed place. Mm-hmm. My tendency is to, to like, ooh, like that brought something up in me. I sure, better yeah. just avoid it. The reality is, if if God has healed you from that, you might just be the perfect person to speak healing into sure, that person's yeah. life. Yeah. Okay. On the flip side, if you are not healed from that, it can be really difficult because you mentioned some of the ladies saying, "Hey, some of this," like because we have a tendency instead of to actually allow Jesus to heal parts in our lives, we stuff them. Yeah. 
and we just say, that's in the past. I don't want to talk about it anymore. Yeah. It's fine. I've moved on. Well, a lot of times when people make that statement, no, maybe there's some healing that still needs to happen there that God wants to do. And and it might it might be... So how do we walk with people? Because it takes mm-hmm. time. It's it's messy. It's hard. And, and you're right. A lot of people just don't want to mess with it. Yeah. Um, on the flip side, when you engage in it, it is messy. It continues yeah. to be hard. It doesn't magically get better. Um, there, there's a lot of brokenness. Some of those things that appear surface level, there can be deeper level healing that happen. And 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 I mentioned um, my wife has a lot a lot of physical uh, illnesses and and uh, that that have happened. And and we continue to pray for God to heal. And yet over the past um, like twelve to fifteen years, God has brought tons of healing in our lives, mm. uh, personally, but, but a lot, you know, like, but spiritual healing. And in prayer, we feel sure. like God has said, like, healing's coming, and, uh, like, uh, just trust me with timing, and, and also just the word that, that God has given us is, this is a platform I'm calling you to, to minister from. So it's a part of our testimony, it's a part of our story mm-hmm. of what God has, has walked with us, the toughness of life, and to see how God has used that to bring healing but our, our culture and day and age, we're not good at being vulnerable about those things Yeah, and sharing no. those things. I'm really pleased at your willingness to talk about these things, because that is kind of rare. I remember when um, Jessica, uh, her last name is escaping me, what became the chaplain at, at Asbury. Uh, Legrone. Yeah, and she was openly speaking about issues particular to motherhood and, mm-hmm. and femininity that a, a lot of people steer clear of. And I, yeah. I, I wonder if, uh, I think a lot of evangelicalism and, and big church ministry talks broadly about things, but doesn't get in the nitty gritty of actually helping people get their lives together. And I wonder if that can be something that the Global Methodist Church offers in the future mm-hmm. of actually entering into the mess of people's lives. And um, mm. It's going to be a hard thing because we came out of the United Methodist Church where you don't ever make people feel judged, but that yeah. inevitably happens when you're going, hey, man, it's not good to yell at your wife. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Hey, it's not good to be consistently like gambling and in debt. Mm-hmm. Uh, you should manage your money better. You're a steward. You know, yeah. There are a lot of ways that people feel judged, and it, I, I get excited about a movement where we're saying, no, you know, disciples, we don't have love of money like that. We don't, mm-hmm. we don't do it like that. We don't, here's, here's how we do with our money. Here's how we treat our wives. Here's how we lead our children. Here's how we govern ourselves when nobody's looking. And so I, that's, that's the stuff that excites me. And I think if, if small groups, accountability, uh, discipleship groups do become a dominant cultural thing mm-hmm. in the GMC, I think a lot of that stuff will rise to the surface because everybody will be dealing with each other's. Yeah. You know, when you're sitting in a pew on Sunday morning, you're not dealing with other people's crap. Right. You're looking at yeah. the guy or gal up front. Yeah. But when you're looking at each other in a small circle and you're together for at least an hour, and you're talking about mm-hmm. stuff, you know, stuff rises to the top. So I'm excited about yeah. that. Well, and, and one, one other note on Please. that is um, that in accountability, what, what, I've, what I've found is, um, you know, in, in Revelation, it says two things overcome, the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Okay. And, and so Jesus and the blood mm-hmm. of the Lamb and the word of our testimony, we need to reclaim being vulnerable and giving our testimony. You know, we get to a certain point yes. and we're like, oh, we've got to put on this polished look. We got yeah. to be the good Christian. We got to Well, what I've discovered is like in my ministry, 
when I, when I say you need to do these things, sometimes that's necessary. Mm-hmm. But sometimes when I see somebody struggling with handling their money, yeah. is there somebody else in my congregation who has struggled with that in the past, right. and, and God has walked them through that, mm-hmm. and I can say, hey, I want to connect you to this, this person. Right. And that person can then share and actually in, engage with the person of, this is how Jesus brought healing in my life and engage and walk through my life in, in these ways. Mm-hmm. And, and so that is... Um, and, and so they're not... People don't see it as a personal attack as much or like, Oh, I see the life that you have now. Mm-hmm. Maybe this is something to look at, and and the Holy Spirit can get a hold of that. And so, also for churches and clergy, what I would encourage is the vulnerability and the testimony piece, and knowing each other enough in the congregation to know each other's junk. Maybe not share it widely, but to know each other's junk enough to know sure. this person has walked through this, yeah. and let me connect you because maybe I've never experienced it, and I'm not the person to walk with you in love and right. to say this is wrong, but this person who's been through it, yeah, like, I don't know, just a Well, and then something. tying that to your role as the president pro tempore, there's no way that you can minister uh, individually in any significant no. sense, so your yeah. job really is arranging the pieces yeah. in a way that needs to happen. Yeah. Okay, so uh, a lot of these things are connecting. You're, you're a much more real person to me now. <laughs> I'm very glad. Um, a couple just random questions. Yeah. Is there a primary theologian, religious thinker, writer, content creator that you identify with or really appreciate? Just a number one or two, two at the most. Oh man, that's a good question. Um, I, um, I, I would say, uh, modern day, um, I have, at Asbury Seminary, took Mm -hmm. a lot, um, took some classes from Dr. Steve Siemens, and uh, deeply, um, I have a heart for healing ministry. So he's about healing prayer and... Yeah, okay. Yeah, and and, um, just because I believe, and when, like, healing prayer, not just for physical ailments, but spiritual healing. Okay. Like, God cares about our whole person, and how do we, how do we, how do we pursue that? How do we how do we look at that? How do we dive um, deeply into that um, and those those different pieces? Um, obviously, Wesley, I love <laughs> sure. studying uh, and looking at um, his sermons, and you know those are standard in the Global Methodist Church, and mm-hmm. and those those pieces. Um, I mean, there are many I could name, but yeah. sure, okay, yeah, that's that's good. Uh, Siemens, I'm not as familiar with. Uh, we've recently been reading Keener, me and my wife. Oh yeah, uh, who's who's fantastic. But this this world is so big. Um, another random question. Yeah. Uh, kind of. Uh, we are both two white men under the age of forty, highly educated, of a certain class and mm-hmm. privilege. Um, we're talking about a global body that incorporates people of all ages, nations, and races. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it's real easy for someone who's jaded or skeptical to look mm-hmm. at this and go, these people left just so they can stay. This is what we're dealing with, whether we like it or not. Yeah. These people yeah. left so that they could maintain their white hegemony and their, their classism and mm-hmm. stuff on top. Uh, I think it's important to show our awareness of the optics sometimes, but mm-hmm. also to talk about how it is that we hope to be in relationship with people who are very different from us over the coming decades. Yeah. So do you, and in the heartland, you know, it's mostly white people, a lot yeah. of Native Americans and some 
minority groups. But I mean, the, the UMC had this kind of radical response of just elevating people based on what body they happen to inhabit, you know, right. uh, if they were black or a, a minority. And I'm not sure we want to get into that, but how do we exercise um, breaking down the walls that divide yeah. and providing um, not necessarily a multi, uh, monoculture, but a, a multi-ethnic body that we're actually connected to culturally and otherwise. So uh, uh, we could probably spend hours on that, yeah. but do you have any basic thoughts on that that would be helpful to share? Yeah, what I uh, a couple things I would say is uh, number one recognition mm-hmm. of it, and I appreciate you bringing that up because um, sometimes like individuals can can avoid the topic or um, or, or not want to talk about it, and I, I think recognition that there there are there are issues, mm-hmm. um, you know, like obviously I talk about denominational trauma. The reality is also as churches and individuals and clergy transfer from the UMC to the GMC, they didn't magically become perfect when they switched from UMC to GMC the next day. Like we're going to be bringing brokenness and Mm -hmm. unhealed places um, institutionally, whether we want to admit that or not. Um, Every denomination has it. And so we, we need to name it. We need transparency so that it can be called out when Ooh, we see it. Ooh, that's one of my favorite words. Um, I love transparency. Yes, and, transparency. Yeah. Do it. And, and I think, so So that's, that's going to be really important, uh, understanding context, but also out of love, challenging um, challenging things. So one one interesting fact that um, as we come together as a Heartland, you may or may not know, is the UMC in the Great Plains, uh, uh, Nebraska and Kansas, um, was probably one of the more diverse clergy-wise conferences. We, I didn't know that. We have a lot of clergy from Korea and Africa and... Oh yeah, I um, guess I do know... Uh, well, a, a Korean, a Mexican... Uh, from Great Plains, but y'all have African clergy as well. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, and so, um, and and they're actually in transferring stuff. There's been a lot of struggles there because a lot of them here are on visas, so there's a right. lot of fear because sure. UMC has said, "Hey, we won't sign the papers to release your visa if you transfer." All that, so that's a mess. So uh, that's a whole different. Wait, wait, wait! I didn't know about this. This is um, the the United Methodist Church has said that if if they transfer from the United Methodist Church to the Global Methodist Church that they'll uh, not sign off on the paperwork. Well, they don't they don't have the authority, but some have. It's been it's been veiled veiled things that have been said to them, just like fear tactics of hey, your your R one visa is tied to the UMC, so if you try to transfer, you'll have to go back home for a period before coming back and. And there's just like things oh. like there's been a lot of fear. And because the GMC is so new, the reality is R1 visa process says you have to be a part of an organization for two years before, well, the GMC isn't even two years old yet. Right, yeah. So now I will say that we've made strides and have had multiple visas approved uh, by the U.S. government. In fact, uh, one just got approved in uh, the Heartland Conference, and I have a clergy moving to a church who's originally from Zimbabwe, who has come from okay. Canada, and the church is From beyond, Canada. He's, Zimbabwe he's, to Canada. Uh, to, yeah, to okay, here. perfect. Um, but the church is beyond excited about him coming sure. out. And and so it's just really being intentional about uh, lifting those individuals up, challenging when people say, hey, we don't hear our concerns, and saying, I hear your concerns. However, yeah. um, this is what 
this is what the word says. This is what we're yeah. called to be as a church. Yeah. And so to not be afraid to push back sure. on that um, and, and those pieces. Um, and so really walking through that and, and exploring that. And so that's not to say there aren't going to be struggles mm-hmm. in it. Sure. Um, but but when when people say, hey, in churches, especially talking appointment process and and things like that, um, it's yes, it's more consultative, but it also is still appointment based. And so, how do we um, how do we also say like we've got an amazing man or woman of God um, who um, maybe is not from the culture of Kansas or Oklahoma, sure, but um, would point you to Jesus and lead you spiritually in significant ways. Like, because we've got some amazing uh, leaders across our conference that sure. are culturally different, but would lead amazingly well. And so really, um, and, and do lead amazingly well. Sure. Yeah. And so um, just being transparent, being um, also pushing, uh, you know, in a loving manner, yeah. those who maybe aren't as open saying, no, that this is not who the church is called to be. And mm-hmm. so, um, and, and in that too... Um, you know, in push, pointing to scripture, what does the word have to say about it? Um, mm-hmm. I found when talking with people who struggle with not necessarily this subject, but sometimes yes, this, but other things, um, I can give them my reasoning, yeah, and they can push back all day against that. But if I say if if scripture isn't clear about everything, but if scripture is clear about something, I can say, hey, it says in the word this, or like they have nothing to respond to, you know, especially if they're in the church and um, subject to Christ and yeah, like, so. Right. Yeah. Um, well, that, to it'll be a hard line to walk or a hard dance to do for global Methodist leadership coming out of the UMC saying, we're not going to be as heavy handed as them to still find that right level of pushing and saying, yes. okay, this is a point of system. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Bible says what it says. This is the system that we've got, and I'm going to lovingly push back against you. So that's that's going to be part of your job. That's yeah. that's not necessarily going to be fun, but what's needed. So yeah. thank you for filling that role. Yeah, um, some people may not like me for it, but and, uh, but the role that's isn't okay. to be liked. It's right. it's to be faithful. So yeah. and, and it's good that you have that discernment. Um, I, I, I've ten other things I could ask you about, yeah. but we've been talking a while. So the the thing that I knew I wanted to ask you before we closed off is the Global Methodist Church is new, the annual conference is new, a lot of things happening, a lot of moving pieces. Right now we have how many churches? A hundred, I believe I updated it. We've got 174. We've probably got more on the way in Oklahoma and Missouri. 174 churches. We got more clergy than that, don't we, right? We have about... at this point, about the same, okay. roughly the same number of clergy. But we have churches. a lot of churches that need clergy appointed there because we Correct. have clergy that aren't willing to serve in a rural area and yes. a lot want urban. So uh, if you know somebody who wants to serve, get them in touch with... Is it with you at this point? Uh, yeah, that's fine right okay. now. Uh, the list of uh, presiding elders will be released in the next week or two for oh, the okay. Heartland area, so hopefully as that gets released, people can also contact them. But, Perfect. Okay. Yep. So you are the primary visioner strategist right now. Mm-hmm. Do you have a sense about what your strategy is going to be, your primary focus is going to be for the next couple of years as you're serving in this capacity? Yeah. I would say... Uh, I have a start of an idea. Um, I'm still praying through, and obviously, 
every day praying, Holy Spirit, guide me. You course, know, like yeah. if you call us to shift. Um, the the biggest thing, I, I guess, in the first year, the biggest thing I, I see is, I mentioned I'm a structure guy. Right, yeah. Um, there's not a lot of structure, and it needs built. Mm-hmm. And um, there's lots of questions. How are we going to train certified lay ministers? How are we going to do this? How are we going to equip churches? How are we... All of those things. Um, the other day, I built. I love to build things, and I was out in the garage. My wife crochets um, nativities and uh, sells them, and there. And I build the stables for them. And and um, interesting. So I was out. Yeah. Okay. Um, anyway, that's. But um, I was out in the garage sanding, and I was just thinking, like praying. I, I like to pray while I'm working on that stuff, and just praying and thinking, like um, God, like. And I just felt like the Lord was like, you know, remember this is kind of like what's happening as we build the Global Methodist Church. Like, there's some sanding that needs to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's cutting, there's there's that, that structure, and it's going to take shape, but it's going to take time. Yeah. And so I feel like my my role as visionary is to say, here's, here's where we want to get, and that's, you know, like, and a lot of people are like, do you have this, do you have this, do you have this, do you have this? And and I think they're probably tired of hearing, not yet, not be patient, but not yet, we're, we're going to get there. Like, everybody wants us to be here, mm-hmm. but it just takes time. Yeah. And so um, some of the major things in the next year is really getting our presiding elders set up so they know how to do their work well, right, yeah. um, that they're trained, that they feel equipped, because the reality is, you mentioned, I, I can't, I can't be everywhere. No. Um, yeah. We've got... 170 plus churches, more coming. And how many presiding elders? Um, we'll have 15 right now because um, okay. they're volunteer, right. and so they'll be serving their churches full time. Um, and uh, we may add more as more churches in Oklahoma and Missouri okay. come. Okay. So. So yeah, you have to equip them. Um, yeah. So equip them to to do their work. Um, uh, recruiting clergy, trying to get those churches. We're here to serve the local church, mm-hmm. and my heart breaks for those churches. Who are just like we don't have leadership. Yeah, and what do we do? And um, you know, like my heart breaks for them, and I wish I could snap my fingers and magically have a pastor for them, but mm-hmm. it's a struggle right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and well, so part of what I've wondered about because I've been aware of this because I serve on the TCAP. Um, a lot of people on plane spoken right, and they're in similar positions around the country. And it seems kind of strange to me that this movement that was once upon a time so strongly lay-led is so dependent on clergy, and it seems incumbent to me that somebody should be raising up lay leadership, not in the form of—I mean, some seminars are great and and Mm -hmm. workshops and all that, but what about just uh, um, the the percolating idea has been uh, an online Zoom community of people who build up small group ministries and local churches— where small groups, accountable discipleship groups, assume the responsibility for leadership yeah. of the church, and then the clergy comes and does what you're doing right. in just directing the assets that, that have already been built up by the laity. It seems to me like this might be the right time to reclaim yeah. lay leadership oh, yeah. um, rather than... And I'm responding to the, the tenor of, well, we just feel really bad we can't give you clergy. Well, you know... You don't need clergy. I mean, clergy are great. I'm clergy, but also y'all are already the church. Yeah. You can do what yeah. you need to do. How can we equip you? You know, right, uh, right. let's not, uh, you know, we'll send you a clergy when we got one. But in the meantime, you right. got work to do. Yeah. 
So yeah. yeah, I and I love you said that because when I said my heart break, my heart breaks for him. I have compassion for right, him. Yeah. Um, but a culture shift needs to happen. Yeah. Um, and and while my heart breaks for him, like I've also shared at times, like maybe this isn't so bad because it's going to force them to be what they haven't been for a while. Right. Because. The church is supposed to, supposed to be lay led. Mm-hmm. Um, the majority of it, like elders, initially the Wesleyan model had oversight and would jump like right the circuit writing model. Like what? And so the the reality is, it's going to require a, a culture shift, but not just for churches, for our clergy, right? Because not all of our yes. clergy are willing to make that shift. And, and what I love, uh, so Joshua Johnson, who um, is on, he's on our TCAT mm-hmm. um, and worked with the visioning team, and um, he will be one of our presiding elders. Um, but he he is um, he has um, started that circuit model, and right now he's got two churches. He's proposed it to others who weren't ready to make that jump. Okay, um, but one of them is a new church start that he's over. But he's not. It's not your traditional two point charge where he's preaching at both every Sunday. He preaches at one two Sundays and the other two Sundays okay. a month. And then he's trained lay people up to preach other Sundays. And and so actually at the Heartland Convening Conference, he's going to do a workshop um, on that circuit circuit model. So yeah, so Josh Joshua Johnson, he's working on uh, circuit ministry right now. And, and I really think it's a model that we need to look at. It's going to require a shift of, of even our clergy's mindsets oh, who, are, sure, who, right. are, who are used to... Um, um, used to a different style model, but also church and and culture shift takes time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's difficult, um, but I, I love jo- Joshua shared with me like uh, even one of the churches are like we weren't we were kind of unsure about this at the beginning, mm-hmm. but we love it because oh, wow. it, I mean it's uh, not only are the lay people leading, but it's freed up finances for the church to sure. be able to uh, use it for mission and ministry or maybe other staff positions yeah. they otherwise wouldn't have been able to to do and like and so um, but that culture shift so really the next three years how do we how do we provide training but not just tr- general training I mean the UMC provided tons of training oh, sure. right oh, like you can provide tons of training yeah. how do we how do we intentionally provide training to help with a raising up of lay leadership of of empowering the local churches to do ministry yeah. um, of of things not being as pastor centric anymore well, and I'll um, tell you what the culture shift is is for for generations now Methodists catered to the culture which wanted to get the most value with the least investment. They wanted to show up for the least amount of time and get the most out of worship. And so to have an uncompromising GMC saying, no, we need you to show up a lot. And in fact, you're not going to get much out of this unless you invest a lot. in. And so not only is that going to result in um, deeper faith lives for you Mm -hmm. and a transformed life in your family, but you're actually going to be leading in your church. Um, that That is a radical shift away from the direction that Methodism has been headed for a long time. And on the other end of it is a lot of wonderful stuff, but in yeah. the meantime, it's casting that vision for the local church to go, actually, you're going to want to be more engaged than you have been. You, you might have thought you were going an easier direction, and in some ways it is. We're not going to make you feel like you need to take a shower after dealing with the denomination every time, yeah. but 
you're going to have to invest more of yourself than you have been. And it requires boldness and clarity of the leadership to say that, expect that, and even be willing to tell the clergy, hey, you got to back off, man. You are taking over the laity's job. They need to be leading. You need to be letting them lead and taking the, the eagle life you. So uh, you and Joshua are going to apparently be leading the way on that and equipping people like me to know when to sit back and shut up and, and let other people lead. So good luck, man. <laughs> uh, thanks. No, but I think, you know, it's a, it's a letting go even for clergy of, of, the, of the control and, mm-hmm. and the need to, um, like, I don't know, for me, like in ministry I, over the last couple years, like I try to have somebody preach um, once a month, even if I'm there. Oh, wow. A, a lay person. I've got a team of like four um, who share. And so I intentionally, and for a while, the church was like, well, you're here. Why aren't you preaching? I'm uh-huh. like, because they're gifted. And if I don't give them experience, they're not going to grow sure. and get better. Yeah. Like, how do we, how do we intentionally? But that's hard for me because, like, um, I mean, I'm not the center of the universe. Praise the Lord, because things would fall apart if I were, right? Like, dude, the uh, funny thing that's happening right now is I'm like, oh, I could totally <laughs> work with lady, and then you're going, I let someone put, preach from the pulpit once a month. It's not me, and I'm going, mm. <laughs> yeah. I like preaching too much. I don't know if I want to do that. So, wow, good job. Yeah, like, but but yeah. it's it's hard to let go of control. Like, oh, like I wish that you know all these things, or mm. oh man, we've got a first time visitor, and I'm not up there preaching, and like. What are they, you know, like somebody, there was uh, one time where uh, three Sundays in a row I actually had different people preaching and it mm-hmm. wasn't me. And we had this family that kept coming back and another person was like, Jordan's going to preach eventually, I promise. <laughs> Jordan's going to preach eventually. And the next Sunday it was somebody else. And, and so uh, but she was giving me a hard time. She's like, I keep telling this family you're going to preach eventually. And I'm like, I, I will. And so mm-hmm. it's all, but all joking aside, how do we, because it's something I struggle with. Sure, like, yeah. How do we release control? Because if people are gifted in preaching, how are they going to grow in that gift if we right. don't give them the opportunity yeah. to grow? How are they going to... And and I'm just using preaching as an sure. example. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so how do we make that culture shift in churches and Bible studies? Like, I mean, yeah, we've been trained, but we're not the be-all, end-all. Like, you know, there was a period at the Goddard Church for a year and a half where I kept praying and I kept feeling like God said no. The people are leading great. You don't need to lead a study right now. You okay, don't need, yeah. need to lead a small group. You just need to provide visioning leadership. Um, right now, my wife and I are leading a small group in our home because finally there was that need. And But um, but how do we equip yeah. the lay people is going to be so critical moving forward in the GMC. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's a thousand more things we could talk about, yeah. um, but you've, you've driven three hours here, and then you're going to drive three hours home, and our poor viewers uh, don't necessarily have the the stomach for long form conversation like we do, but yeah. um, it, it's the first of many. I, I think uh, yeah. I think it's clear to me after listening to you for a while that you clearly have the stamina and the discernment, the gifting and robust theology required for this. So I'm really glad you're the Thank president you. pro tempore here, and I I would invite. Um, listeners, viewers, to, to be in prayer for you as, as you've you. got a hard job of, of creating a culture out yeah. of... Um, it's Is it harder to create a new culture out of nothing or out of something that we're trying to leave? You know, So yeah, yeah. you get to figure that out. Yeah. But in the meantime, yeah. I, I think I'd like to conclude uh, this segment with just having you pray for the Global Methodist Church yeah. and for the ministry here. And uh, I just invite our, our audience to, to be in prayer with us as Jordan prays. 
Father, we thank you for your presence. God, I thank you for how you are moving, how your Holy Spirit continues to move in in each of our lives. God, I pray that you would make us sensitive to your spirit and all that we do, Lord, that we would would be a a people who are marked um, by discipleship, but not discipleship for discipleship's sake, God, but but the, the transforming power that is in you, Jesus. May that just envelop our lives. Would you just convict us of areas that we haven't healed from yet, that are broken, that, that, that just need turned over to you? Help us to have our lives be, be lives marked by repentance. God, I pray over the Global Methodist Church. I, I pray that, that you would um, not just make us another institution, but that you would make us into, um, uh, that, that we would truly be a movement sensitive to your spirit, committed to your word and the Wesleyan expression, Lord. Would you move in, in people's lives, hearts and lives, Lord? Would you, would you raise up la- more and more laity, Lord? Would this movement not be clergy-centric? I, I ask for that, God. I ask that you would give us vision, that you would move in, in our churches, in our communities, Lord, that you would raise up new, new uh, GMC bodies within every community uh, of people who, who just deeply love you and, and are, are in love with you, Jesus, and who want to pursue you, Holy Spirit. And so I pray that over the Global Methodist Church. I pray over our leadership, Lord, um, uh, the the Transitional Leadership Council and the upper-level leadership, all the way down to the leadership in the church. Every leader matters, God. And so I pray over our leadership within the Global Methodist Church. Would you make them women and men who are humble and who are seeking after you, Jesus, and your Holy Spirit? Be over the heartland area, God, of Kansas and Oklahoma and Colorado and Missouri. Lord, would you move? Don't grow the heartland. Grow your kingdom. God, don't don't grow us numerically before you grow us spiritually. God, help us to to just see the least and the lost, and, and as I shared earlier, just to pursue one more for the sake of your kingdom, for you, Jesus. May people see Jesus in us, and that's my prayer over our leaders, over our churches, over every part of the Global Methodist Church. Jesus, we love you. We pray all of this in your name, Jesus, through the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. All right. Thanks, brother. Thank you. Thanks for everybody who spent time with us. Uh, The people in Jordan's position are going to be very influential in establishing the culture that those of us in the Global Methodist Church experience. If you uh, watch this and you're not committed to the Global Methodist Church yet, then uh, sounds. I, I hope we've given you some good stuff to think and pray about. Uh, we're going to have, um, if you check the show notes to wherever you listen to or, or watch this, we'll have uh, f- links for you to follow up if, if you want to think about uh, getting involved in the Global Methodist Church. Um, uh, whatever Jordan wants on there, we're going to put on there. So in the meantime, if, if you think these kind of conversations are helpful, then... Uh, the, the solid you can do me is sharing it, sending it to other people that you think would benefit, uh, promote it on social media. This is a labor, labor of love for me, and I'm wanting to bring on TJ full-time so that, that we can do more of this. I want to equip other churches, and so if you have it in you to support financially, then go over to Locals, my Locals channel. You should find that in the links to my 
profile and then just, you know, give five bucks a month. And if enough people do that, this becomes much more frequent. The, the quality gets better. I would love to do this more uh, for you. So anyway, uh, thanks for spending time with us and I'll have something out new for you again soon. God bless you. See ya.